Daniel 6, uh, one, verses 1 through 10. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance that, um, and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in, the, uh, in his upper chamber to upon, open toward Jerusalem. I swear he practiced. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Bow your heads with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us. Thank you for all the seniors that are graduating this year, and please guide them in this next chapter of their life. Give us ears to hear and hearts attuned to your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and just put it up there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katia and Cassie, for doing that. You did a great job. Uh, I always love to see our students when they're involved, and we got another great class of, of graduates graduating from Mansfield Bible. Um, in many ways, they just kind of entered a whole nother group. This morning, I saw some that are back uh, from after being in school, and got to hug a couple of them and, and see them. What a joy. You guys are uh, students that I pray for. Um, it, it's always a joy for me to see our students who grew up in our church and now who are such an important part of our church, when I think of people like Matt or Tamara or Brian, uh, man, I could just go on, people who are still involved in our church in such a powerful way and that God still uses them at Mansfield Bible Church. Over these years, I've prayed for them and uh, keep, the Lord, keep them before the Lord and many that are even aren't here this morning. And now I see these that are graduating, you all continue in that path of people that I pray for kids and students that graduate from Mansfield Bible, that God would raise them up, amen, that he would use them, that they would know Christ, they would know of his goodness. And as they embark out, they're going to get to experience things they hadn't ever got to experience before. I can remember going off to, to college, and uh, it was so exciting. I was going from really Denver, Colorado to Birmingham, Alabama, which was a big change in climate and culture. There was a lot of things I discovered in Alabama that I did not ever know existed in Colorado, like a thing called biscuits. I mean, in Colorado, we had these little biscuits. When I went to Alabama, they had these huge biscuits. And then there's this stuff called gravy that was so amazing. Just uh, I went to Alabama. I was like, man, I'm never leaving there. Biscuits and gravy in Alabama. I remember Lydia and I went on a trip when we were in Phoenix, Arizona, and she was ordering some biscuits and gravy. And I said, 
you don't want to do that. They're not like what you see in Alabama. And uh, I ended up eating them because they were nothing like what she thought. I'm telling you, there's some things I learned. One of the things that experiences I remember going to, going to Alabama was that the climate was so different. So when I got into my room and set it up, I put my desk, because we had, it was an old house that they turned into a dorm room, and there was an AC that was in the room, like a window unit. So I set my desk, so that thing was literally right there blowing on me because it was just so hot for what I was used to. And my roommate came in and I said, hey, look, I like it cold. So, you know, if it starts getting too cold, please let me know and we'll shut this down. And he's, he's from North Carolina and he was like, oh man, I like it cold too. Let's keep this thing going. I'm like, sure. So we ran that thing 24 seven. And as the weeks went on and, you know, Alabama doesn't get as cold as Denver did, but it gets pretty cold. And I can remember we're starting to get in November and neither one of us are going to shut that thing down or admit that we're cold. I can remember hiding blankets in the top bunk. So when I went to bed at night, I could keep somewhat warm where he'd walk in and I'd be sitting there shivering before he walked in. But, you know, you have to be cool now. Oh, it's not cold in here. We were, our friends would not even come into our room because it was so cold in there. And I remember one night, it was in November, one night he walked in and he said, man, I can't take it anymore, shut it off. And I'm like, sure, no problem, I mean, I'm fine, but no problem, right? <laughs> so you start having, one of the things that happens when you go off to college and you start that college life or you start going to classes is you will remember stories for a lifetime. And one of the things you, I hope that our students and our graduates remember is the fact that God is involved in your life, whether you're here or you're at college or you go on in a career or you start having a family, that God is a part of your life and he's a key part. He's a key person. And there are some things that you have to know about life and your walk with God in order to understand how to embark and how to take on a world that wants to change you. It wants you to fit into its standards, its, its thoughts, its society, and it wants you to fit into those cultures. And how do you become a person who walks before God throughout your life? I came to Christ when I was young, but I never really knew God until later in late my high school years that I began to really begin to thirst and want to seek after him and learning how to incorporate him in my life and my walk. I love looking at Old Testament or just Bible characters because from them I learned so many things. One, my, my Bible hero, if you've ever been around me much, my Bible hero is Enoch. There's not much said about Enoch, but he says, says this, he walked with God for 300 years. I remember as a young man thinking, oh my gosh, if he could walk with God for 300 years, could I walk with him for 80? And I began to look at characteristics of people in the scripture. I saw guys like King David who had tremendous failure, yet God said he was a man after his own heart. And I'd start looking at his life, looking for things. What was it about his life that he would be a man after his own heart? own heart. We're like Ruth, who was at a, such a time as this that she became such a key part in the life of Israel that God would use her in a powerful way to save Israel. And who was this woman, and who was she, and what was the characteristics? One of my favorite is Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you don't have to necessarily turn there. In fact, I'm calling this, this message today, Greatly Loved. You see our graduates there. I love our graduates. I love our students. Um, so excited. But 
In Daniel chapter 10 and verse 11, there's a verse there. And notice the purple. Did you all see the purple here this morning? This purple's here because, you know, Fatima's favorite color is purple. And she just loves the seniors so much. She said, we've got to use purple today. So here we are. It's purple. There you go. Daniel 10, 11 says, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. It also says that in chapter 9, verse 23, it calls Daniel greatly loved. I think chapter 10, verse 19, it also says that. And in my mind, I was like, what made this man greatly love? It said, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he, who, uh, when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. It's a picture of where God is sending a messenger to Daniel to reveal something. But the thing that, that stood out to me is this phrase, greatly loved. Some of your translations, if you have an NIV, probably says highly esteemed. That before God, Daniel had this, this aspect whereby God highly esteemed him. In fact, the word literally can be read, man of preciousness. That he was an object of God's delight. He was a treasure person. And so when I begin to look at somebody like Daniel, and I'll go, I'll start asking those questions like these other guys in the Bible that are people just like you and me. There, there's nothing special about them. If we walked up, there wouldn't be a glow around their head. There wouldn't be something special that is any different than you or I. But they were people who God used in great ways. And when he says, Daniel, you're greatly loved, highly esteemed, a treasured person, a man of preciousness. I started asking the question, what are some qualities, what are some habits, what are some thoughts that Daniel had in order for me in my life that I might walk after God? But even especially our students who are graduating, who are embarking on life, many going off to college, many of them going off to universities and going to different places, embarking on a life in which they now will enter the work world at some point begin to build families, what are those things to incorporate into our lives that we need? One of the things that I begin to realize is Daniel, really, there was three things about him that I realized is Daniel was a person of the word, Daniel was a person of prayer, and Daniel was a person of integrity. It seems like simple things, but when you begin to look at his life, you begin to understand that, man, these were not things that he took lightly. He was a person of the word. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, and I have it up here <clears throat> for you as well. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the, king, or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, out of context, you might not understand what exactly is going on here. We know in chapter 1 of Daniel that that Israel is now being captured by Babylon. Babylon <clears throat> had defeated Egypt. Israel made a pact with Egypt. Instead of depending on God, they were depending on Egypt to protect them. And Babylon conquered Egypt. And Egypt goes fleeing back to its homeland. Well, as Babylon is now returning, they go through Jerusalem and they capture Jerusalem. And when they do that, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he grabs some of the vessels out of the house of God and he takes them back to his, his temple, to his gods, and he puts it in there because it's to humiliate Jehovah, the God of Israel. It was to humiliate him and to say that he was under their gods because their gods had given him over to him. 
And one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did as well is he took captives. And some of those captives were, out of those captives was Daniel was one of them. And they were the best of their day, the best youth of their day. And they began to take them back. And they began to change their lifestyle. They began to call them by different names. They, they educate them in the Chaldeans, which was the best education of that day. But many of those things had to do with worshiping other gods. And they began to educate them in those things. They changed their diet. Now instead of observing what God had instructed Israel and how they should eat in order not to defile themselves, they now were eating off the king's table, which was a privilege. But much of the food had been sacrificed to other gods. And Daniel's understanding of the text, of the word of God, he understood he must not eat of those things. They also changed his name. His name, Daniel, meant literally, God is my judge. In other words, God is the one who I answer to. He's the one whom I follow. He's the one who I stand before. But they changed his name to Belshazzar. And Belshazzar literally means Bel, one of their gods, would protect his life because they wanted him to forget about his God, forget about his truth, his word, to forget about his way of life, and they're changing his way of life. They're bringing him into another standard of living, another idea in which they were to conduct themselves, and now you no longer look to God as your judge, as the one who protects you, guards over you, but yet rather our God, Bell, he will protect your life. And it's obviously true, right? Because we have the vessels from your God in the house of our God, and our God delivered you over to us. Would you not believe that? Doesn't that make sense? That you would, that you would understand that there is no more hope in your God. I think our students are facing, in fact, it's not just our students but, or that are graduating, but all of our students, all of our children our young adults, our adults that are facing a culture and a time that is trying to change our way of thinking about who God is and what his word says about him. And we need to guard ourselves. And one of the ways we do that in students that are going off to college and students that are here in school, one of the things you do that is this key word right here, resolve. The word resolve literally means to make up your mind. That Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Why? Because he knew what the word said. He understood the scriptures. I often share the story, and I've probably heard it before, where I was one time working for my boss, and he had came into my office. I was a store manager at the time. And the offices in these restaurants are like really small. Like I could put both of my hands on the sides of the walls. And he was a big man. He made me look like a, like a really small guy. I mean, he was just a big guy. And literally, he could walk in there and do this, and his elbows would be on the walls. He was just a big man. And I was standing there, and so I'm backed up. He walks in. He says, hi. I turn around, and he's standing there. There's no way out of this room. Like, if, you know, you're, you're at the end of yourself, right? And I got in a package, and I said, hey, you know, this package came in. He goes, great. Hey, what I want you to do now is I want you to call the company, and I want you to tell the company we did not receive that package. And then he went on. He was saying some things, and I was sitting there. You know, everything in my head is like, hey, this is my boss. What am I going to do? And I remember looking at him and saying, hey, look, I can't do that. 
I can't lie. I can't call and do that. I'm sorry. And he kind of accepted it. I think he was a little upset at first because I didn't do what he asked me to do. But nevertheless, that's who I was. I knew what God's word said. I knew the kind of person God was wanting to develop in me, even in all of my frailty and all my foolishness and my shortcomings. Yet I knew in the moment of that, of looking at that situation, there was no way I can continue on. I couldn't lie. I couldn't do it. One of the things that Daniel had the dilemma was does he, does he eat and defile himself or does he just get in big trouble with his captors? Because he, he was a captive. And the reality is he resolved to obey and to listen to God's word. And the question becomes, what does the word mean to you? What does God's word mean to you? Students, both that are graduating and those that are in school, what does God's word mean to you? How do you elevate it? Where do you place it in your life? What the value of it as it relates to your life? It really has to do with how you make up your mind about whether you're going to obey God's word and follow it or not. In a world that wants to change you into a different, different personality, a different way of direction, different fate, well, some days that works. <laughs> Daniel was not only a man of the word, but he was a person of prayer too. In Daniel chapter 9 and verses 2 and 4, we, 2 through 4, we also see this take place where Daniel, he prayed in the light of the word. It says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books of the numbers of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now I want to stop there. That's verse 2. One of the things that Daniel had read and he had studied, he knew what God's word said. And he knew that 70 years was coming, and, and now he's at this place, and, and when we saw in chapter 1 and verse 8, was at the early part of his life, but here this is later in his life. And the 70 years is coming to the end, and God, he knew God had promised that at the end of, at the end of those 70 years, he would bring Israel back. He would deliver them. How did he know that? Because he had read about the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, some of you may even be familiar with this, this verse. This is Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 13. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Daniel knew that. He knew God's word. He knew that the 70 years was coming to the end. And so what does he do? Back in verse 3 of chapter 9. It's there, I promise. He said, at the end of the 70 years, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleads for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he continues on in the prayer. Daniel was a person of prayer because Daniel understood that the word of God influenced how he prayed. He, he was a student of the word, but he was also a man who prayed in response to God's word. And dear people of God, we need to have our prayers as prayers that are in response to God's word. But you only can know that if you study his word, if you know his word. Like when James tells us in James chapter 1, what does it tell us? That if we lack wisdom, what are we supposed to do? 
Ask God. Ask God. What does it tell us in Philippians 4? That we're to what? Pray about what? Just a few things about everything. God's word is very clear. If you go and you see in the scriptures places and where it has prayers of the saints, it's amazing the different things that they prayed for that we would pray in response and that praying becomes a part of our lives. I want to take a moment here for a second and I want to talk about an aspect of prayer. You see, prayer is relational. It's not transactional. Think about what I just said. Prayer is relational. It's not transactional. We sometimes will watch, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Medea, one of those shows, and it's crazy things, but there's a part where she's in front of the judge, and the judge is going to come down on her, and, and she says, oh, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll go by church, right? And so her daughter hears it and all that, so he, she gets off, and she's free, and she's driving home, and the daughter says, oh, we're so excited about you going to church on Sunday. I'm not going to church on Sunday. Well, you said, you told God if he got you out of this, you were going to go to church on Sunday. No, I said that I would go by church. And we just went by the church. I did what I said. And that was, that's a transactional prayer if I ever heard one. But we do it in so many ways. We pray for something and we expect God to respond. As students, I know, man, when I was in college, it was like, Lord, please help me with this test. Help me with this test. Help me with this test, Right? And then the test didn't go so well. Did I blame God? We have transactional prayers with God where we expect God to respond without relationship. Have you ever had one of those friends that everything you were, whenever you saw them was kind of like, hey, hey, but you always knew when they wanted something? Hey, Greg, how you doing? And you'd, oh, they're going to want something. None of, us, none of us accept those kinds of friendships in our world, do we? But yet somehow we expect God to accept our transactional prayers. Because prayers are relational. Daniel was relational. Daniel understood God's word, and when he prayed, he prayed in light of God's word. I think it's why so many Christians are defeated today, because they don't understand the difference between relational prayer and transactional prayer. So many times we just pray expecting God to respond and answer and to get us out of our mess, rather than understand that God wants a deep, abiding relationship with us. And some of us, when we go off out away from our norms, and some of us, when we went off to college, we pushed God onto the shelf and we set him off to the side because we lost the relationship with him. But in those moments when things were falling apart, we pull him off the shelf and we start saying, God, 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 God. That is a transactional prayer. God desires a deep relationship with us. We need to be relational and the beauty about God is that even when we push him off for a while, when he calls back, he's ready to grab us and bring us back in. But dear people of God, we need to be a people who are about relational prayer with our God. We need to hear his word, and we need to respond to his word in prayer. And the way that we pray for and the way that we go, go about things. You see, Daniel was a person who was greatly loved and highly esteemed before God because he was a person of the word. He was a person of prayer, but he was also a person of integrity. If you take, go to Daniel chapter 6, our passage that Katia did so well reading for us today. In Daniel's chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, it kind of gives us a cause of the irritation that was going on at the time. It says in verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. 
to, the, uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. What was the reality of the irritation? Daniel was successful. God had moving him up. He was, he was not just one of the top three, but now Dan, the king was going to make Daniel over all of them. You know, here's the reality, dear people of God, whether you're a senior graduating or you're in school or you're in employment, wherever you are in life, something to understand. Godliness and integrity does not keep you from success. It doesn't. When that owner was standing there and he was telling me, Greg, I want you to call and tell him we never received this package. I never, I never forgot after, that, after he walked out, I was like, man, I'm doomed here. I might as well start getting my application out. I might as well start applying. Little did I know that he decided that if I wasn't going to lie for him, I wouldn't lie to him. And there came a time where in that, in that company, I was the only non-family member who could sign checks. And when he would go on vacation, I knew where the blank checks were because he trusted me. I was able to move up in the company and my godliness, my integrity did not keep me from advancing. We need to get out of our minds that somehow we think that there's our relationship with God and then there's our business world where our, our school world, where our different worlds, and I've got to act this way in order to advance in that, in that realm. I understand what God wants. I understand what God's desiring. But I've got to act a particular way. It's just the way it is. I remember a guy that was a prison guard over in Louisiana when I was over ministering there, and I remember one time talking, and he said, man, pastor, I just got to, I got to say all these words and all, where else they're just not going to respect me. And I remember saying, hey, man, they're going to respect you whether you say them or you don't. Or they're not going to respect you whether you say them or you don't. People respect you for who you are by your integrity, by who you are as a, as a child of God. We don't, have to be, we don't have to throw out the biblical truth in order to advance in this world. We don't have to, to become something we're not as God's children in order to be accepted in this world. We may not be accepted, and that's fine. But the reality is the integrity of who we are as God's people needs to be priority and allow God to raise up, allow God to do as he pleases. In verse 4 of chapter 6, it says, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. You know what the definition of integrity is? I looked it up this week. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles and moral uprightness. Here's some of the behaviors it suggested to show integrity. Being dependable. Following through on commitments being open and honest when communicating with others, holding yourself accountable, owning up to your shortcomings. 
man, I just look at that and I'm like, in our, we're losing that aspect in our culture. It doesn't give us the right to not be people of integrity. We are the people of God. We serve a risen king. We serve an almighty God from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one to whom I listen. He is the guide. He's the one who establishes us. And Daniel understood that. And he demonstrated integrity because they could not find any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5 says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. In the days ahead, dear people of God, that is what people are going to find as a problem with us in our culture, is our faith. That's what they're going to find. Are you going to resolve in your mind what kind of person you're going to be as far as a child of God? Are you going to pray relational prayers with him? Are you going to be a person of integrity? So what did they do? They plot in verse 6, Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. They appealed to his, his, his thirst for control and power as a king. All the presidents of the kingdom, the perfects, which this wasn't true, all the presidents, because Daniel wasn't here. But that's what they said. All the presidents of the kingdom, the perfects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are... Are, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce it by injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Once it's signed, there's no going back. Not even the king can change it. Well, that's not what I meant. The king can't even take it back which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, you want to see integrity? Verse 10, when Daniel knew, Daniel knew who he was. Daniel knew he was part of the people of God. Daniel knew his, who his God was. Daniel knew what he believed. And he stood soundly on the truth of God's word. He stood soundly in, in his prayer life. And here he is when he knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. And then they crash in and they find him. He didn't keep his windows closed. He still faced Jerusalem. He still was looking for God's deliverance. He was still looking for God coming to reestablish them. Daniel understood who he was as God's people. And he wasn't going to let the circumstances around him change who he is. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who are you? Are you, are you a child of God? Are you God's people? then the word has to be priority, doesn't it? We need to be people of God's word. We need to be people of prayer. Do we not? We need to be about relational prayer, not just calling on God when things aren't going our way, but in everything that we do and all that we do and say, when we're, when we're lacking wisdom, we ask. When we're wanting to know truth, we seek his word and we pray and we ask God. 
We don't understand a passage in his word. We pray, we ask him. He tells us his Holy Spirit, he will convict us, what, of righteousness and sin and judgment. He will convict us of those things that we need. God is faithful. Daniel, greatly loved, highly esteemed, precious, treasured person whom God delighted in was a person of, of the word, a person of prayer, a person of integrity. This morning, as we, as we end, what I'd like to do, I'd like to do something a little different as we close. I'd like to just gather together in our little circle, maybe with your family, maybe just your neighbor. I want you to come together and maybe hold your spouse's hand. And I would like for us as a body of believers, if you're online, at home, maybe you, maybe you gather together there at the house and then and around the couch, grab each other's hand, and I'd like just to have a time where you just pray over our graduating seniors. Just pray for our seniors. And then I want you to pray for our students, our students here in, in school, our students that are off to college, some are back this weekend. I'd like for you to pray for them. And then just pray for us as God's people, that we would be people of the word, people of, of prayer, people of integrity. And then I'll just, I'll close this. So let's bow your head and gather together and let me find my stool. Let's pray. Go ahead and let's just pray for these seniors. Pray for our students here in high school and for our students who have gone off to college and are college students now and our young professionals. Pray for our children. And then pray for us as God's people, that we would be a people of the word, a people of prayer, a people of integrity.
Father God, we lift up to you our graduating seniors. They are precious in our sight. But Father, I know they're more precious in your sight. I pray, God, you put a hedge about them. I pray your spirit would be on them, Father, that they would not forget who they are. Father, they they would understand that as a child of God, the way that they would live and conduct themselves in this world is directly related, Father, to to your word and to who you are in them. May they understand of your of your grace, of your mercy. May they, Father, understand of your power that is able to enable them to do great things for you. Father, be with them. May they, Father, stand head and shoulders above others because your hand is on them and they find favor in your sight. Give them favor in the sight of their professors, in the sight of, Father, the other students. Be with them, Father. Lord, as well, we pray for those who have gone off to college out of our, out of our church, those in the military. And Father, as well, you would lift them up and you would remind them of, of your strength and of your power to keep them in the precious hand. that You hold them, Father. Use them, Father. Glorify yourself in them. And those that have already graduated and are now young professionals, Father, just, just use them. Let them not forget who they are in Christ. Father, for our students in, in high school and our children, Father, let them not be swayed or deceived, God. Keep them in the truth of who you are. Father, may they know of the spirit that dwells in them. May they know, Father, of your grace and your mercy and the strength. Father, may they take courage and who they are as believers, as your children, as the people of God. Father, we would also pray for us as parents and aunts and uncles, as grandparents, as adults who have invested in the lives of our children and our church. That, Father, we would also be people who take the seriousness of your word in our lives. Understanding that, Father, as we pray, it's not just asking for things. It is a relationship with the Almighty God from everlasting to everlasting. And let us, Father, be people who let our yes be yes and our no be no. Be people of integrity, of commitment to what we said we would do. Let us pray for one another. Let us be unified by your spirit. Father, let us be a light in a in the midst of chaos, when there's uncertainty, let us be confident in our God that we might walk after you in all of our ways. To you be the glory and the praise and the honor forever and ever to you, O God. Amen. Amen.